Now, Turnbuckles, Trunks, and Titles presents to you Nicholas London and Q-Ball Carmichael. that you just heard will start off here in my living room, but I can't. But what I can do is welcome everyone to another edition of Triple T Radio with myself, Nick London, and the host of the show, the man of the hour, the man with the power, he is Q-Ball Carmichael. Q-Ball, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tricky Nicky. What's going on, brother? You're the hustle behind the muscle, baby. Hey, listen, man, you are the man of the hour. So, here's the deal. This is Triple T Radio. You just happen to be the host to the show. So, I need to welcome you to the show first and foremost and ask you the most important question. How was the weekend? The weekend was good. I spent uh, uh, one day on a new job last week. Uh, so that was good Thursday night, and then I was off on the weekend, and it was uh, kind of a relaxed weekend, nothing much going on, and, uh, you know, hanging in there, just uh, doing the deal, brother. How about you? I can't complain, buddy. I uh, was working on some radio stuff this weekend, as as per usual, and uh, just, uh, just taking it easy. We had a big snowstorm on Sunday that was a little bigger than anticipated but it is what it is yeah i got a friend in ontario that sent me a picture of her backyard and it was they were getting pounded pretty good up there too how much uh how much did you end up getting you got about 25 we're Inches? not no uh 25 centimeters yeah see you know Listen, when I was in school, in, in elementary school in the 70s, or middle school, well, in high school, uh, we were trying to convert to the metric system, but the American population was so caught up in the, the our, our own form of measurement that nobody could understand that a gallon is simply, simply 3.8 liters. And how, how to divide things in the liters, yet, yet, Apparently, it sucked because you could go into the grocery store and buy a two-liter bottle of soda, not a two-quart bottle of soda. So, I don't, I don't know. Some of it sucked, but some of it went away. I guess as far as, like, the soda part of it, it sucked, but it's funny because it didn't stick with anything else. It's amazing, but I thought that was a, I can do the conversion in my head. So it can't be rocket science, obviously. <laughs> no, but it's still a pain in the butt. Um, my 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 thoughts and prayers are with Newfoundland, who got about seventy five centimeters, and uh, there's, there's nothing over there but white. It's uh, cars are under snow, and houses are under snow, and you know it was tragic. It really, they're making the best of it, though. God love them over there in uh, Newfoundland, but. My goodness, they got hit with one. I think it was a four-day snowstorm. Oh gosh! Yeah, they they really I got. I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah, 
they got hit really bad. They got the majority of this storm. Uh, we just got the tail end of it, really, in my eyes, because the eye of the storm went right over Newfoundland. Right, right. Yeah. They're wow. used to it, though. They seem to like it. <laughs> That's when you get the snowmobiles out, man. And, and you can go anywhere. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, they must, they must, they must all. Who needs a snowblower when you can get a, a snowmobile? Well, that's exactly it. You just put the leave the cars covered until the snow goes away, or until you get time to clean them off, and just take the snowmobile out. I know for us, and even just living in upstate New York, we were in the snow belt. But you know, that's what we did. I mean, it was a lot of people that commuted by snowmobile and still got to work, especially people who worked on a farm where you had to go and be choice and. Many times I fired up my uh, Polaris and, and rode it, you know, the two miles to the farm instead of getting in my car and going. So, you know, I'll still got to be milked. So what is what is the plan? Is Mike coming on the show? No, Mike has a has a work-related issue. He's, a, he's in building, commercial building and construction. He's got an issue um, at work with one of the guys that works Form that's going to involve HR, so he's kind of buried in, in conference calls and paperwork right now. And he told me, he "Goes, you know, I can give you guys about 15 minutes, but as we know with Mike, he would get tied up and he'd be on for 45, and then unfortunately, it would probably cost him more headaches at work tomorrow." So I said, "You know what, buddy? Let's do this. Let's get you on when we don't have any time constraints, because you know Mike has a lot of knowledge." Um, he's worked for WCW, ECW, uh, WWE. I mean, he's wrestled Andre the Giant before. I mean, he go, he goes back that far, and he's got that much experience in the business that he's a guy that when you get on, you just get a wealth of knowledge. And you saw what yeah. I sent you. We'll, we'll save what I sent you uh, for when he's on. But, you know, one of the things that we have to talk about, of course, is, is the passing of a wrestling legend this past week. Boy, you ain't kidding. Um, uh, first of all, if, if I may, very quickly, um, when it comes to work, you know, we're not we're not forking you out ten grand to come on the show. And unfortunately, in this line of work, um, you know, a lot of guys have another job. And when you say something about HR, well, that changes everything because you know that sounds like a very important job, and I'm sure it is. So. I can completely understand and relate to that. So uh, my hats are off to Mike. I'm sure he's just got his mind going a mile a minute. So I'm sure we'll talk to him in the future. I have no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Mike's one of those guys that is, uh, you know, he's always been in building construction, had his own construction company at one time uh, before wrestling took off for him. And And when he got back in a few years ago, he decided to get in the commercial side so that, you know, he wasn't working seven days a week and he didn't have the responsibility of building something and then counting on somebody to sell it. Uh, so he took a job. But, you know, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight, too, is exit strategy and and, and how it relates to uh, wrestling depression. And we'll get into that a, a little bit later in the show after we do a little bit of a tribute. And, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I really think it's important for young guys to get themselves a craft or a skill. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud, really quite proud of the fact that two guys 
that uh, one I trained completely and the other one I mentored both listened and took my advice and, and got into the sales side of the business. One, of course, is Julio De Niro, who rode with me many times on my sales route for a chemical company and ended up getting in sales in 15 years of United Rentals and, and does very well, makes a very good living. Has a beautiful home on Long Island with his wife and his, his three daughters. And, you know, the other thing is that, uh, you know, uh, Matt Griffin, who wrestled as J.C. North, and now we had him on the show in October. He promotes um, a great wrestling promotion in Georgia, one of the toughest states to promote and be successful. And uh, he ended up getting out of the Green Corps and getting into insurance sales. His uncle happened to have an insurance company in, outside of Atlanta, and he's been there for the last, I guess, 15, 18 years and done really well. So I always told my guys it was important. And when a wrestler came in and he was still in school, whether it be college or, or high school, I would insist that they finish their education along with learning to wrestle. Or if I found out they were dropped, expelled, or quit, I would quit training them. Because you, you have to have an exit strategy. Because unfortunately, wrestling for me, by the time I figured it out, really, it was too late. Some guys figured it out a lot earlier than I did. I did it, you know. So you've always got to have something to fall back on. Mike's one of those guys, and, of course, you're going to give him a pass when he's got business to take care of. Well, I couldn't agree more. Um, okay, so uh, – he had mentioned about we're going to discuss the legend. Of course, he was born as Wade Douglas Bowles, and he was born August 24th, 1944. He was the son of Lillian and James Bowles, and you may all know his name in the ring as Rocky Johnson, who I want to say made. He, he definitely put footsteps in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, he, although you only came across him a very short number of times, you are very familiar because you trained with his mother-in-law, correct? Correct. I trained at Peter Maivia School um, in 1983. Peter had passed and Leah Maivia who uh, Rocky married Leah's daughter, um, they uh, had, had a very long and successful marriage. And, of course, you know, Dwayne Johnson is her, daughter, her, her son. And I, I was trained and supervised my training originally under the Rock's grandmother, who was Rocky Johnson's mother-in-law, as you stated. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, guys, this is what makes this fun. Is just because the person who's supposed to be here is unable to be here doesn't mean that we're just going to gibber-jabber. Uh, as most of you are aware, that literally just a few days ago, I believe January the 15th, was the passing of Rocky Johnson. And a lot of people will sit here and tell you that you know, oh, they remember his time in the WWF. That's what they remember. But there's more to it than that. Um, you know, he spent the majority of his career in the NWA, which was like 
mid-60s to early 80s, and a lot of people don't realize that. He finished up his career, for the most part, with a big-time company, the WWF. Now, Q, for, for you, you understand this business. Tell the people just how hard it was. Um, I, I understand that, you, you know, you're not a black man, but you understand how difficult it was in the 60s, uh, a, a young black man getting in the world of professional wrestling. You know, I would say that wrestlers are the most non-judgmental people but it was still, it's a headache to, uh, you want to make a name for yourself. How hard do you suppose it was for somebody like Rocky Johnson getting involved in professional wrestling? Well, it was very difficult back then. And, and you know, uh, I'm close with Ricky Johnson and discussed the struggles before. And, you know, it's one of those things where the average promoter didn't know how to market these guys. So they really struggled with bringing them aboard in the first place because they'd already figured out how to wrestle, how to, I mean, how to market the white wrestler. So when the black wrestlers came along, it was very difficult and it required a lot of persistence on their part and a lot of persuasion uh, for the bigger promotions to bring them aboard, much less give them a chance. And Ricky and Rocky, were actually the first black tag team that ever won a major title. They were the first team to do that. So that was, the, if you look at it, you know, it, it, the equivalent of that was like Jesse Owens and the Olympics running in Germany during the war, you know, right in front of Hitler. It was the equivalent of, you know, Jackie Robinson making it in baseball, going from the Negro League leagues to the major leagues you know it was a very difficult and complex process to be able to get past that barrier yeah i can't i personally can't even imagine i mean you think about it you know he started at 64 was when he started and he had Legally changed his name to Rocky Johnson, which, as we all know, would obviously become a huge name. Although he had some ideas, and um, you know, that that certainly was a huge help because of the name and the legacy behind it. But Rocky Johnson itself, the name Johnson, would become a hit in professional wrestling, hence the name The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, who, as we all know, has made a career out of professional wrestling and now obviously on the silver screen. But, you know, you think about it. I mean, he had matches against guys like Terry Funk and Harley Race. And and a lot of guys, they just look at him and they say, oh, yeah, he was a tag team with, with Tony Atlas. That's how they know him. But that's, in fairness, is the generation coming up. And this is why I tell people, if you really want to get to know our this business, man, even though this sounds really like, I, just, I hate saying it, but it's true. Man, get the WWE Network. Get YouTube. Like, go on these things. And, you know, there's such a wide variety 
of video and footages all over the place. And it really gives you a chance to understand, like, you know how great the NWA was. We all do. I mean, the mid-Atlantic area, you know, the, the, and then, you know, you count in all, like, the Carolinas and you count in all around that. That you know, and then you got Jerry Jarrett down in Tennessee, and all that stuff. And, and the NWA was blooming back then. So yeah, those were. No, no, go ahead, please. I just didn't know if you thought I was ending it, but I, I was. Yeah, no, tell me what your no. thoughts are. Well, I I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, back then when they got in, even the Originally, it was the WWWF, um, and it was a territorial promotion. And before it before it blew up, and these territories, um, I don't. And this is the thing that I try to talk to young wrestlers about is, you know, if you only know Rocky Johnson as the Rock's dad, then you need to learn who he was as a wrestler before anybody ever heard of the Rock. And you need to follow the ter- history of the territories of wrestling and see how guys would actually rotate from one territory to the next. You know, they would come in and they would build them up and they would get them up on top and they would have the run and then they would leave and it would be an injury or it would be that they were, you know, the heel champ and they lost the baby face and they just disappeared and, they would rotate to another territory because there was no internet. There was no um, way for people to know that they had left one territory and went to the other if they weren't advertised. So, you know, the history of territorial wrestling is important to know and understand. And even to go back further into Luthez and Strangler Ed Lewis and uh, Carl Gotch and all these guys before that, Stanislaus Zabisco, go back to that era and work forward in your knowledge of professional wrestling. And you'll understand, um, you know, it's kind of like in, in the forties and fifties, there was a new movie released about every month. So now there's one released every day, if not more. So what happens is back then in that classic era of not just movies, but wrestling, there was but a handful of stars that traveled around the world and made up the wrestling business. And just like there was a handful of movie stars who were the draws that would play in the movie, you know, and it was, a, it was a different time, different era. Um, you think back and see, see the first black actor that really had a major role. And you go back to Sidney Poirier, which was in the fifties and sixties. And Billy, he won an Oscar for Lily of the Fields and, you know, you look back at this history, and it was difficult for him to get in and find a spot in acting, just as it was difficult for a Rocky Johnson to get into wrestling and find a spot in it. And so, you know, those things sort of coincide, but you, you watch it, and you learn the territories, and you learn what it was like to work for, you know, Ed Francis out in San Francisco in Hawaii, or Roy Shire, who was before him. You go and you look at what it was like to work for Fern Gagne as a promoter and, and to work down in Texas. Um, and, and you learn um, the history of wrestling, not from here back, but from the beginning forward. 
And that really gives you a fond appreciation for even even to be out there on the independence of professional wrestling, which, you know, there there was, but there wasn't. You know, what we call independence now, one time we're called outlaw promotions. And I don't think people realize that. So, you know, that history is crucial. And look at the difficulty for anybody of any ethnicity besides white to have gotten to wrestling, whether it was the American Indian play, whether it was the Pacific Islander play, whether it was a black wrestler, you know, it was extremely difficult and it was extremely hard. Um, and I think once that ice was broken, people realized that there's not just was there a place for them, but there was a key place for them. You know, Ernie Ladd is another guy who came in, um, notarized for professional football into the sport of professional wrestling. You know, and seems like the meanest, meanest, baddest man on the on the planet. And you know, it's 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 amazing that how much of a struggle it really was for these wrestlers to come in. So, no, I agree with you. Um, all right, Q, we're going to take a quick uh, a quick moment to talk about Amazon. And not just any Amazon Q. I want to talk to you about cue ball play. The real way, shopping made fun. Cue Ball Carmichael offers everybody on Amazon a great deal, and he encourages just the normal person, if you will. He wants everyone to check out his shop because he tries to make shopping fun, not for the average person, but for everyone. He offers you products like you wouldn't believe, of course, you know, the pillow that has saved my marriage, if you will. And this is true. The brainstorm that has literally made me one of the smartest people in an entire school full of teachers. So Q, I just got to ask you, you know, what would you do if you were not Q-Ball Carmichael? What would you do for one of these uh, multi-layer pillows? Oh my gosh! You know, I I, I don't know. All I know is, is honestly, it's the best pillow I ever slept on. It's extremely firm, um, and my head doesn't sweat at night. And you know, you shave your head. For guys that shave their shave their head, it's extremely difficult to find a pillow that even if your room is cool and comfortable, your head gets warm. It's where the heat exudes from your body, and find a pillow that you don't perspire at night is an amazing thing in itself. And so I, I bought these pillows for me, bought them for me, my wife, my daughter, we all tried them out for two months before I decided to sell them. Um, and then I bought the company out of them and I'm, I'm waiting for a new supply to come in in March. I'm going to buy them out of those. And it's just been an amazing difference in the way we sleep. Uh, I, I showed it to my neighbors. They bought three and my, and my whole family is using it. And just hundreds of people that have bought them off Amazon are using them. And, you know, the overall, the only complaint that people make is that it's too firm of a pillow. Well, it's supposed to be. It's not a soft pillow. Um, if you take out, the, it has two individual cool gel memory foam inserts inside. And if you take one of those out or two of those, you'll get a smaller firm pillow or a thin firm pillow. But, you know, the idea behind the memory foam pillow is it applies pressure to the part of the neck and the spine and the head that needs it. And it relaxes pressure on the part of the head, neck, and spine that needs it. 
so it conforms to your head, and it never loses its shape. It goes right back to where it was. So when you lay on it the next night, it's like laying on a brand-new pillow again. So for me, with having a fracture at C4 and having stiff neck issues all the time, I mean, it's made a difference to me. I don't wake up with a stiff neck. And I was sleeping on a $100 pillow made by Tempur-Pedic before I went to this. And to me, and no offense if you're sleeping on a Tempur-Pedic, but this has made an incredible difference. The Tempur-Pedic was decent, but it wasn't as thick and it wasn't as soft because we have a proprietary blend cover that's made of 40% bamboo and aloe vera and 60% microfiber. Have you ever felt microfiber? It's very soft. But by mixing in the bamboo and the aloe vera, we get a very breathable cover, which transfers heat. And that's the idea behind it. So it transfers the heat away from your head and out of the pillow. That's why you don't perspire when you're on it. So for me, it's a superb pillow. And uh, I have a friend who, and I, I told you this story, who never slept on a pillow because when he was raised, they were extremely poor, and they couldn't afford pillows. And so he's gotten the habit of never sleeping on a pillow. He's 42. He bought one of these pillows for me, and he won't even let his wife try it because he's afraid she's going to do something to it. And he sleeps on it with one layer of memory foam in it, and he's never slept on a pillow in his life until six months ago or five months ago. And now he won't sleep without it. And when they travel, he takes it with him. See, that, and that speaks volumes to me. I mean, the three biggest things I notice about it is the cooling, and it's breathable and adjustable. And that's the three things that I love. This pillar saved my marriage. It'll save yours, too. Go to Amazon, guys. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. If you go to TripleTRadio.com, You'll actually see a picture of the pillow in the corner. And if you want the pillow, click it and get it. And you will not regret a thing. Now, Q, moving on. Very important. Brainstorm has saved my life. I am smarter now. I'm more focused. It's awesome. Tell me something. How do I get it? And when is when can I get it? Because I need more. Well, you know, the thing about brainstorm is, is I did a lot of research into this and I'm a research type of guy. And I looked at all the different, uh, all natural herbs and, and things that had been used and tested by physicians, um, and by different universities. And I came up with a proprietary blend with this too, which basically means it's our blend. We disclose within the blend but nobody can duplicate that blend. Um, and we put something ca- called Bacopa Mononary. Um, but instead of using the leaf, we use the Bacopa extract because it's more powerful when you use an extract of anything. It's like vanilla extract is stronger than plain vanilla. So we use the extract in there. We also put GABA in there, which is naturally in your, in your brain. But it's a natural substance. And the reason we do GABA is because when neurons fire in your brain as you get older or you've had head injuries or you've had any type of uh, overly stressful situations for a long period of time, the neurons stop firing in the brain. And that in itself can cause depression. So what GABA does combined with the Bacopa is it helps your brain start, the neurons start to fire harder, faster, and it actually will build 
new neuron connectors to connect where the former ones are defunct and no longer work and can't be fixed. Then we added in uh, L-choline, which also feeds the neurotransmitters in the brain, and, and choline helps your body convert it also to GABA, which is important. We put something in there called DMAE, which is another university-tested all-natural substance that exists in the body to begin with that helps it fi- help the neurons fire. Um, Bacopa is a, has been used in Chinese medicine for years as an antidepressant, um, an anti-anxiety medication also, because as you know, in a lot of different countries uh, outside of the U.S. and Canada, uh, they, they do a lot of healing holistically with organic substances um, versus all the answers to pill that an insurance company uh, makes a lot of money on, but also the, the pharmaceutical company makes a fortune on it. So just like, you know, if you go over to, to England or Europe and you have prostate trouble, they don't prescribe Proscar or some kind of medicine pill to, to shrink your prostate. They give you soft palmetto, which you can buy over the counter in the U.S. to, to help do the same thing. Well, in different countries, this is the formula that they use. Um, there's also, uh, it's called NAC, it's N-acetylcysteine, which actually makes your brain, it helps with cognitive health. It helps. It actually improves the brain and makes it produce more. Uh, it can't produce new cells, but it makes the cells that are in there that are dormant actually function again. So it gives the the long and short-term memory um, a little bit of a boost uh, in there. DHA does the same thing. Uh, Phosphatidylercin, which is which is another all-natural substance, is in there, which has been known to help a lot with anxiety. So what we did is we created a formula that helps with depression and anxiety, that helps the neurons fire more, that is an alternative to ADHD medication. It's an alternative uh, to yeah, make your cognitive function, your cognitive, cognitive health improve for people that may be more susceptible to Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. This can be something that can, I won't say it will stop that, but it will definitely um, defend against it. It'll help it uh, maybe take longer to manifest. So we have taken all these things into consideration. We also have 100% of your daily dose of vitamin C, according to the uh, Food and Drug Administration. We have 100% of vitamin B3 and B5 in there. We have riboflavin in there. Uh, We have uh, chromium picolinate in there. Um, All these things that are necessary vitamins and trace minerals to help the brain function along with the different herbs like the Bacopa and the GABA um, and, and, and the DMAE and the DHA, and all these things that work together. So there was a lot of research put into this formula. We put in the exact amounts that were supposed to be done. I worked with a U.S. company out of Utah called Box Nutrition. They've been producing nutrition, nutritional supplements for the last 60 years, um, and they, they sell about a million dollars worth of private label supplements uh, for Amazon people, private label on product every month. It's in an FDA-approved lab. It's manufactured according to GMP, which is good manufacturing processes. Um, and everything is, 
in this is all natural. So this is something that you want to take for cognitive health. And really, honestly, I designed this with the aging wrestler, <laughs> excuse me, the aging wrestler or the young person who's going through maybe some depression or anxiety that would prefer to try something all natural versus go to a doctor and get a pill. So it works for young, old, in between. If you have a high-stress job, everybody's woke up in the morning feeling groggy, and that's from brain exhaustion. And what this supplement does is it feeds the brain. Uh, it's not a stimulant. It's got less than 3 milligrams of caffeine, but it's a, a much safer alternative to energy drinks and five-hour energy shots and things like that because it's not loaded with caffeine and things that can hurt the heart, plus three milligrams of caffeine in the serving of this. So that brain fog that you get in the afternoon, you're at work, you've had a long day, you've had a big lunch in the afternoon, you're just like, oh, I just, my brain is just not functioning, I got a brain fart. All this stuff is designed to, number one, not have you wake up foggy, but refreshed. Number two, in the afternoon, not to get that brain fog that keeps you from finishing that project that has a due date or getting writer's block if you're writing something. So all these things work together to create over use of three to four weeks of this product a noticeable difference in brain energy. Instead of coming home from work and being so exhausted, you're like, oh, I just want to veg out on the couch in front of the TV. That's because your brain is exhausted, not your body. We've all felt tired once to bed and can't sleep. And that's because your brain isn't tired or your brain is over-functioning because it doesn't have the right nutrients and it won't let your body go to sleep. So with this, what I've noticed is, now I've kept track of my sleep for five years, and I've never once had over three hours of REM which is the, the deepest form of sleep. When I take, started taking this supplement a few months ago before I decided to market it, I found that the third night I took it, I got three hours and 34 minutes of REM. The most I'd ever gotten at that point was just barely two hours. So it gives me a deeper sleep. It gives me a more restorative sleep. And that's kind of why the pillow and the brainstorm go together. If you're going to be in a deep sleep and be out of it, you want to be on something comfortable. So when you wake up, you don't have a stiff neck because, oh, my gosh, I slept too long in one spot. So if you look at what I've done, I'm sort of designing a thing that's healthy for the neck, the head, the brain to all work together. Get a pillow. Try, you know, brainstorm. I mean, it's very inexpensive. It's less than $20 for a 30-day supply. Get yourself a three-month supply. Take two capsules every day for three months. Uh, see what happens. You'll notice the difference because if you stop taking it, you'll immediately know the difference. But what's funny is the people around you notice the difference. My wife my daughter are like, wow, you're a lot quicker. You're like you used to be. You're not missing a beat. You don't struggle for a word. You remember everybody's name. All that thing, all those things that start to get us. I can't remember their name. Oh, my gosh, what do you say? Oh, I'm getting old. I can't, I know that guy, but I can't remember his name. That goes away. You see somebody you haven't seen in two years, bam, you can fire the name right out of your head. And it's just to me when the people around me see a difference in the way that I act mentally or my mental acuity is so much better or I'm more accurate or I can pick a name out, watch a movie and go, oh, that's so-and-so. And he played in this movie, and my wife goes on IMBD, 
And it is that guy. And the last movie I saw him in was seven years ago. Now, three or four months ago, I would go like, oh, that guy looks familiar. Now, I know the guy's name, and I know what movie he played in. That's not an accident, especially at 59 years old. You know, that's something that this product does for you. So, for me, I will always take this product. I will take this product for the rest of my life um, because I noticed the difference in how I perform mentally how I can write more accurately when I write something, how I make less spelling errors, less mistakes, how I can meet somebody out in public I haven't seen in a couple of years and recall their name and ask them how their child was by name. I mean, it's really uh, incredibly amazing what this has done for me mentally. And I would just love everybody who has a stressful job or is aging or has a bit of depression or a bit of anxiety, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't go see a doctor still and, and, and get medication if it's severe enough where you need it, but if you're just noticing little bouts of it here and there, try Brainstorm, because I believe in my art that this is going to make a difference because it's made a complete difference in myself, and, you know, I tested the pillow for two months before I sold it. I tested the Brainstorm for two months before I sold it because I wanted to make sure that whatever I put out there at the end of the day has my name on it, that it's going to work and it's going to work well, and it's going to work well for a long period of time. So trust and believe anything that I bring to market doesn't come sight unseen from China, like 97% of the people that sell on Amazon. My stuff comes to me. It gets a trial run through me and my family. And if it meets the standard, which is extremely high, then I market it. So fortunately, you know, I have a good job. My spouse has a good job. So Amazon is a business where we're trying to make a difference in people's lives versus to sell something that costs a dollar and I get it shipped from China for another dollar and I sell it on Amazon for $20 and I'm making, you know, 10 or $12 a product and I'm trying to sell a thousand of them a month so I can make $10,000 a month and quit my day job. That's not our goal. Our goal is to bring quality health products to market so that people can use these and experience a positive change in their daily lives. That's our mission statement. Well, I like it. I love it. And uh, everyone can go to TripleTRadio.com up in the corner. It's on the right corner. And you'll see the brainstorm. Check it out. You will not regret it. Now, Q, one thing about these pills is I don't like calling them pills. I'd rather call them vitamins. But they work. But focus. And one thing about focus that maybe a lot of people aren't aware about, but Rocky Johnson originally was training to be a boxer. And maybe not everyone is aware of that. Now, we know he made his mark in professional wrestling, and he has stood the test of time. What do you think he'd have been like? In the world of boxing? Well, he came up in an era of, he would have been a heavyweight. He came up in an era with, I mean, so many great heavyweight champions. I think that if Rocky had been born 10 years earlier or 20 years later, I think he would have probably been a world champion boxer uh, because he certainly had incredible footwork and incredible skills when it came to that. But if you come up in an era where Ali was coming up and Sonny Liston was out there 
and Joe Frazier was out there, and George Foreman was out there, and all these big heavyweight monsters were out there just knocking the tar out of each other. I, I don't know how he would have fared. Now, I can tell you that if he was in the era before that or after that, there was no doubt he was the world champion. And he may well have been world champion in that era, too. I don't know. But I, I the, the legend has it that Rocky Johnson could and had, had knocked out people with one punch many times. So I'm sure he was as skilled as anyone. And if I think that with his dedication to fitness and training, his commitment to being successful, I think that no matter what field he was in, whether it would have been, you know, boxing or whether it would have been wrestling or whether whether it would have been uh, weightlifting in the Olympics, I think it didn't matter really what he did. Whatever he set his heart on, I think he would have been successful. I think he was one of those guys that probably looked at wrestling and wanted to break the barrier, so to speak. And and that's why he diverted from boxing to wrestling. But I think he would have been extremely successful in any era of boxing. Um, he definitely would have been one of those guys that was at least in the top 10 contenders of heavyweight boxers for sure. Well, you know, he kind of reminds me, he had, Rocky had mega charisma. He kind of reminds me of Carl Weathers, who played Apollo Creed in Rocky. That's actually really a good analogy. Never thought of it that way. But you're right. I always felt his footing reminded me of Muhammad Ali when Will Smith played him in Ali, the way his footing was. Made me think of uh, Rocky Johnson. But let's armchair quarterback this for just a second. Okay, Muhammad Ali, I think we can both agree, he's on a pedestal on its own. No one near yeah. him. But let's just armchair this for one second. Rocky Johnson may have been, in that era, he could have been the closest to a Muhammad Ali that we were going to see. Imagine him. Versus that 19-year-old Mike Tyson. That may have been the closest we would have ever gotten to a Muhammad Ali-Mike Tyson dream match. You imagine? Well, you know, here's what I think. I think, I think. I think that Rocky had the footwork of Muhammad Ali with the knockout power of a Mike Tyson. Now, we never saw that because as good as Ali was and he did have a knockout punch, he wasn't that muscular... Uh, Mike Tyson style of fighter. Mike Tyson no, didn't have the footwork, but he had the power. But I think Rocky Johnson had the footwork of Ali and the power of a Tyson, or at least a Joe Frazier, who was a very powerful man, knocked you out with one punch. And I think the combination of those two things would have made him a champion, you know, in, probably in any era, you know, even in the tough era that we talked about earlier. He definitely would have been a contender if he wasn't the champion. He would have been a contender. Can you imagine? Like it, just, it sounds so good to say, but it almost gives me goosebumps the thought of it. Um, but obviously, as we know, he would turn his attention to the world of pro wrestling where he would, um, you know, break a lot of barriers and, and Depending on who you talk to, some like to think that Johnson 
really was one of the most underrated stars as far as, you know, being the headliner of the main event. In my eyes, he was a headliner. Uh, obviously, on paper, he never main evented, but he was a headliner to me. He main evented, but not. He he wasn't. I'll put it this way: he wasn't like a Bruno San Martino, a Hulk Hogan. He never he never main evented that stature. But he could. Well, I don't think right, and I don't. I think at the time, um, I don't think they knew how to market a super charismatic. Um, black man that was a fan favorite. You know what I mean? I don't think they knew how to market him correctly because obviously he had all the skill in the world. If you watch him, he was a phenomenal wrestler. He was smooth as silk in the ring. I mean, he's one of the smoothest guys you ever see wrestle. So you think about it, he had all this charisma. He was he was built like he was cut out of stone, and he had all this these things going for him. But the one thing he didn't have is he didn't have a promoter at the time that knew how to utilize everything he had to put him in a position of being a main event star. Later on with with, with black guys, obviously they figured out how to do it. They had figured out how to do it with Pacific Islanders. They figured out how to do it, you know, with, with, with guys of a certain ethnicity. But back in the day, they really didn't know how to market that or how to deal with that. So it was very difficult uh, from the promoter standpoint. When the promoter doesn't know how to use you, it doesn't matter how talented you are. You're only going to go as far as the promoter has the knowledge and ability to work you up the card into that main event championship status. And they just didn't have that mindset or that ability back then for me. Um, I, being around wrestling as long as they have, I didn't come up in the era he did. I was there after that. To me, it would be very easy to market him, obviously, with television and, and you know, the mass appeal that it has these days. But back then, being that even the WWF was a regional promotion, I just don't think that people knew how to market him properly. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. Um, you know, it's funny because in reality, it doesn't age well that, you know, the block, the block, uh, wrestlers in, in, in our business, depending on who you talk to, they like to talk like as if they were held down. They were never held down. I think you said it best by, they just didn't know how to market it pro- now, today in 2020. We can look back and think of all sorts of guys, you know, Ron Simmons, um, uh, Dwayne Johnson. J.Y.D. Junkyard Dog. Yeah. You know, they were were just learning how to market him correctly as something more than just um, an attraction, uh, but actually as a main event star um, when he was with uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and the NWA later on in his career, then the WWE, you know, he was more of uh, the way they marketed him was he was he was a strong at a strong position, uh, was never in, in really in the heavyweight championship mix, but yet you know went over ninety five percent of the time. He's over. 
with his charisma, people loved him. You know, they loved yeah. him. And what they what they really realized as they started to market him and as they started to market Tony Atlas is that white America loves to see a baby face black guy out there winning matches. They they loved it. And had they figured that out in Rocky's era before that, he would would have been could have been a singles world champion. There's no question, you know. But it, it, they figured it out finally. But I think in the territorial position of wrestling, when he was a star, they really hadn't figured that out yet. No, and, and I I agree with you. I I firmly do believe that he would have been the first black WWF champion. But, you know, it's funny because we talk about it and then you look at it in 82 to 85. Now, in the span of 82 and and most of 83, I'm just doing the math in my head here, most of 83, no, all of 82, our, uh, the first quarter of 80, 83, he could have been the champ. But see, he comes up in such a – we talk about how he kind of shows up on the scene at the worst time. Uh, Hulkamania was just blooming. Yep. Uh, nobody was going to touch him. Uh, you know, and he only stayed till 85 because technically that was kind of the end. Like he, was, he was winding right. down. So right. he kind of always hit his stride in that territory when somebody at a much bigger level uh, in the NWA up to 82, I mean, you're still, no matter how you look at it, Ric Flair, Harley Race, are you kidding me? Yep. Punk, Rick, Story you got, you, right, you got Ric Flair, you got Harley Race, yeah, you got like, the Punk, you got, you got Dusty Rhodes, you got Dusty Rhodes, you had Magnum. Yeah. There was was no room there. And then you look at the WWE, and when they put Hogan over on the Iron Sheik, I don't think they realized how big of an impact that that was going to have. That just made Hulkamania explode. I don't think – and I think Rocky could have played any heel or baby face they wanted him to. But he was the guy that people, I think, were going to love. So you're really not going to pull it off making him a heel at that point. So, you know, you, you, can't, you can't take the belt off Hogan because Hogan represented more dollars and more asses and seats than anybody. So at that point, you can only get so far. You know what I mean? You can only get yeah. so far. You look, you look at the champions um, – from the seventies on up, okay, with brief run with Ivan, you had you had six or seven years with Bruno, then you had Bob Backlund, and then you had the Hogan era. You know, the heels then were just transition champions to another baby face and another run. So you got you got Bruno's run, then you got Backlund's big run, and then you end up with Hogan's big run. Where in that 18-year period of time where Rocky was at the top of the game, do you fit him in to be a babyface champion? There's just no way. 
he, no I guess, way to do it. We would put him in the category of like, uh, uh, you know, I, I hate, I hate when people say, oh, he was good, but he didn't need the title. I don't, I don't know why, but I don't like that. I hate when people say Roddy Piper was good, but they, he never needed the belt. That's fine. They, they don't understand. The average person doesn't understand that. That in, in, and this is not meant to be derogatory, but a title belt is a prop. It's used in a way to pack buildings and make money. It's not put on a guy who's the best wrestler necessary, obviously, because the ultimate warrior had it. So it's not put on a guy who's, and no, no disrespect to the dead, but it's not put on a guy for his wrestling skill or ability. It's put on a guy for a mar- from a marketing standpoint, period. It is a prop used in the wrestling business to elevate a person that is going to put massive amounts of people in buildings to, for the promotion to make money. That's all it is. That's all it ever is. The problem on independence is if they put it on their buddy, they put it on themselves, the promoter, or they misuse it or whatever, if they keep the, the model that everybody has, that that belt, no matter how prestigious, okay, that title, that championship is a marketing prop. That's all it is. So well, yeah, you, look sure. at, you look at it to me, I'm going to tell you to me who Rocky Johnson was. Rocky Johnson was Dusty Rhodes, charisma-wise, but with the muscles and the skill and wrestling abilities, he was the black version of Dusty with muscles and and skill and ability to the nth level. But the problem was is where do you fit that person in? I mean, how long was Dusty Rhodes world champion? Yeah, exactly. some guys some, some guys need titles to to be like Ric Flair, they're modern in a way. They wanted a heel champion with a bunch of baby chasers. WWE wanted a face champion with a bunch of heel chasers. That's just the way it was, you know. Superstar Billy Graham had the belt for a while. Limited wrestling ability. Tremendous amounts of charisma, right? That that could have been Rocky Johnson if, if Rocky had been the type of guy that people would boo and hiss at. But he was the type of people that the type of person that people wanted to cheer for. So, you know, you look at these places that he would have fit in, and these other characters were, they knew how to put these guys in these positions because they were used to dealing with Caucasian wrestlers in those positions. And I just don't think they knew how to take a guy with his skill and ability and ethnic background and put him into those positions. And, you know, like we covered in the years when he was at the top of his game, the guys that were embedded in the top three or four or five guys of the promotion that the belts got moved around when in either place, that was a that was already a program that was drawing money and putting people in seats. And there's no promoter, no matter how much they love the guy, is going to move that prop off this guy who's filling arenas and take a chance on filling. Maybe I make a bad move here, and maybe I he's old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm gonna stay with what I'm gonna stay with what works until it quits working. And by the time it quits working, he's officially retired and opened a training school and 
you know, being home with his family for a change. I really like the idea of doing these profile shows. This is our first one. And uh, I want to do more of these with you because this is actually kind of cool. Uh, I didn't know. I think it's a great idea to take a wrestler and discuss where, when, why, and how of their career. I think well, it's a, I think it's a different spin for a wrestling show, and it's a force that we're talking about him after he passed because we could have had the same conversation five months ago, six months ago, and I would have said the exact same things I said tonight because we're looking at it from the standpoint of where does the guy fit in and what period of time he's at the top of his game. And, you know, if if he even needed to file where he fit on the card, you know, things like that. So I think it's a good way to honestly analyze people and give credit where credit is due because there are just a ton of wrestlers out there that if they had been born 10 years earlier or 10 years later, they would have been in that world championship title run. But because they came in in an era where it was dominated by two or three guys who were just packing arenas across the country, they didn't get moved to that position. Well, here's the deal. Um, I just feel like we're just, honestly, I feel like we're just getting warmed up. Like, I feel like we really haven't gotten in to a lot of detail. I know we have, but I feel like we haven't. Um, what I would like to do, if, if you're on board, is next week we have Mark Bowles, who is Mark Thomas in the world of pro wrestling. He's going to be on our show. The week after, I would love to sit with you and do a part two to this Rocky Johnson because I'm very intrigued. Love your thought process on it. And uh, I think you and I have a lot of similar feelings towards the black I can tell you when I first saw him, when I first, the first time I saw him, I just went, oh, my God. First off, the guy looked fantastic physically. Second off, he has incredible charisma. And, you know, the thing about wrestling is, and I've said this before, I don't care if the guy I'm wrestling is Asian, American Indian, Hispanic, Pacific Islander, Black, Himalayan, Finnish, Dutch, Swedish. Only thing that matters is I can trust him with my life for 10 minutes, and he returns me home safe to my family. And to me, that's how I judge a wrestler. And I think wrestling is colorblind. The only color in wrestling was evergreen. Hey, can we make money together? Do you think when Lou says had to wrestle Abdullah the Butcher the first time that they need that they had any idea how much money they could make together? Lou knew. Not a clue. Abdullah Butcher tells the story that he was scared. He was actually scared to go in there with Lou because Lou he knew Lou could tie him in knots. But Lou went up to him before that and said, "Look, our job is to go out there and make money together. So let's do something where we can come back next time to this building and fill it up and get paid more." And Abdul was like, all right, let's do it. Whatever you want to do, man. And that was Lou's attitude on the business. Lou always said it is a wrestling business. The only color in this business is green and make as much as you can in your career. Because even if your career is 40, 50 years long, it's going to be short. You know what I mean? 
If you start delivering mail at 18 years old, whether you're working for the provincial government doing it or you're working for the U.S. government doing it, you can do that until you're probably 67 years old, which means you had a 50-year career. You're not going to get a 50-year career on top in pro wrestling. It's just not going to happen. You might wrestle for five different decades, but you're not going to be at your peak in all those five decades. So, you know, it's, it's, it's do business, make money, and do whatever you can to do it, and, and that's the wrestling business. Hey, I've told it before. I'll say it again. You look at some of the greatest guys in our industry. You look at guys like Dusty Rhodes, who, you know, who was in his in the 70s and, and the early 80s, and you hear guys who say, Oh, he retired when he was really young just because he was announcing WCW. A lot of guys don't realize that these guys are in their peak. Uh, Hulk Hogan did not spend 10 years in WWF in his peak. You know, he, he will have been in his peak for a few years, but then Vince just saw, as you said, he saw the green and knew there was money. You can keep a guy on top if the money's coming in, but as far as the peak goes, that's an entirely different story. Right. Right. That's like, you know, a classic example is Nick Bockwinkle. Another great guy. You're right. Around a long time, but really was at the peak of his career and heavyweight champion and and making just – I met his uh, mother and father-in-law in Honolulu. And they were telling me, this is in 83, they were telling me that, that Dick was making sometimes eighteen to $20,000 a night wrestling in sold-out arenas as when he was a champion and he was in his early 40s, you know? And he, yeah. reached, his peak, he reached his peak between 40 and 50 years old. He was, he was at his absolute peak. And people peak at different times, and, you know, and that's one of the issues that I have. With the WWE not understanding that guys that that if you go back three decades into the 80s or four, guys who were filling arenas for the WWE, you look at guys like the Bushwhackers, you know, you look at guys like Demolition. Those guys weren't kids. Those guys were guys already in their 40s, you know, who really reached their peak in their 40s, but yet now they step back and say, well, we only want guys from from 18 to 26 years old coming in to train to be this, that, or the other thing. And, you know, yeah, they, you know, they should realize with looking on guys like Jericho and Matt Hardy and stuff that guys in their 40s or 50 can still perform incredibly well but they've got that wealth of knowledge of being out there so long that they can use it. But, and that's my only bone to pick with them, but you know, they are, they do what they want to do because they're the major company. But when we go look back and wrestlers, they peak, a lot of wrestlers peaked in their mid to late thirties to the early forties through mid forties. You know, it was one of those things. I mean, shoot, I think Abdullah wrestled till he was in his sixties or seventies. And, and Luthez held his last, NWA Heavyweight Championship at age 60. So, you know, he, 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 but he's still still building. So, and that's what it's about. So, yeah, I think we can go back and I think we can go back and look at wrestlers and, and do just like we did are doing now with Rocky Johnson and talk about, you know, in, in Piper's a good one. You can, ex, 
you can explain away why, number one, he didn't need a title to build buildings, and number two, um, why he wouldn't have gotten one anyway at that time, even in the best shape of his career, because of what was going on around him with other people. And you can do that, armchair that, with 100 different guys and explain why so that it makes sense to the average person well, because the average person says, well, you know, they never held a title. So they look down at him a little bit instead of looking up at him thinking, wow, this guy didn't need to have a belt around his waist to fill up buildings. Nope. You, uh, you got my vote. And like I said, the, the greatest, the greatest thing to do in this business is to rebook the territory. And if you and I can do that, uh, if we're not, if we don't feel having a guest, uh, rebooking the territory is always fun to do. Uh, if you're on board, though, like I said, next week we've got Mark Bowles who's going to be on the show, and then I'd like to be part two of Rocky Johnson. Are you on board for that? Absolutely. Great. Let's do that, and we're going to continue on booking. I also, I would love to armchair armchair uh, quarterback uh, somebody else that I know that you think highly of and not have him on the show but talk about him is uh, is Damian Wayne. Sure. I just think that if we sit down and we armchair him and talk about what if he came up in the 80s I, I just think it's fun. I, it's something I really enjoy doing. A lot of guys don't want to do it anymore because a lot of guys aren't as knowledgeable as guys like I'm in a different generation than you are, but I respect you know, guys in the 50s and the 60s. You know, I, I'm okay with sitting down and watching 30 of two hearts matches just because I'm so intrigued by the business. I don't care well, the year. I love the well, business. I was on um, 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 I was on Heartbeat Radio. It's called. Oh yeah, yeah. Every week for two and a half months, trying to get a seminar in North Carolina with. Um, which heart does that? Which what? Which heart does the heartbeat radio now? Oh God, I I don't even know. Um, Bruce, Bruce Hart. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you were saying something else. I I tried to get Bruce down here to do a seminar. I was on it. I was on a, I met Bruce on a show in Honolulu 36 years ago. And he was running the Heartbeat Radio, Bruce was. Um, and I was on a show for six or eight weeks straight. Bob Johnson booked it. And I was on, and, you know, there's a guy who, who thinks exactly the same. But what, what he was surprised at is I actually knew um, that. Um, that the first three-way match, three-way dance, was actually called the Bermuda Triangle match. And 
it was created in Stampede Wrestling. There was no three-way dance. There was no three-man wrestling match. They had the first one ever in Stampede, and they called it the Bermuda Triangle match because it was so dangerous. Um, and I, he was kind of blown away that I knew that. But I, I would love to talk about I would love to talk about Stampede Wrestling one show dedicated to, to Stampede and the guys that were there because that probably is one of my favorite promotions ever. And I have spent years studying Stampede and talking, spent a lot of hours talking to Bruce about Stampede. So we, he was the booker for it. And so, you know, I would love to spend an entire show talking about Stampede. Or two shows, but you know, you know who I was really close to, and um, he's also in the Rope Rope Hall of Fame. Is um, Smith Hurt? Yeah, I used to talk to Smith almost uh, weekly, and God, goodness, he's got so guy. many. Yes, oh my goodness, some people hate him, but I loved him, and he treated me with nothing but respect. Oh, you know what? Smith was a great guy. Smith and I had talked once, and we were friends on Facebook, and we would chat back and forth all the time. And you know what? I hear the thing is, if you didn't didn't know him, don't talk bad about him. If you knew him personally or you talked to him, he spent time talking to him. He was 100% of a gentleman to you as long as you gave him the same gentleman back. But she just, just like any of our brothers, they were all very friendly people. When I used to dress with them at WWE, when it was at WWF, all great to me. You just didn't want to cross them because they wouldn't take anybody's crap because, well, they didn't have to. You know? Yeah, they they don't understand. They don't get it. I, I don't even think it's understanding. It's just some of the fans in wrestling – and some of the boys in the business, I think you'll agree with me on this. They are so concerned on being the next John Cena. They want to be the next Randy Orton. They want to be the next John Michaels. But they don't even know the history of our business. They don't have a clue about the history. Yeah, if they had to take a test on the history of the business in order to get in, there'd be a lot less people in the business. I can tell you that right now. I couldn't agree more. Crazy. Yeah. So, bro, I think it's about time to uh, close out the show, isn't it, buddy? Oh, I think it is, and that's where I'm getting at. You're on board next week, Mark Foles, a week after, Boston Johnson, part two, with Nick and the host of the show, Paul Carmichael. See you next week, same time, same, same routine. You know what, buddy? I love you. Thank you for doing the show. I know you're a little under the weather, but you're a man. You stood up and did the show. I can't thank you enough for that, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Sounds good, brother. So much going on. We'll talk later. All right, buddy.